Good morning. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the December 13, 2023 meeting of the Budget and Finance Committee. I'm Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Vice Chair Raphael Mendelman and Supervisor Asha Safai. Uh, our clerk is Brent Halipa and would like to thank uh, SFGovTV um, for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcement? Thank you, Madam Chair. Just a friendly reminder for those in attendance to please uh, make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices so as to not to interrupt our proceedings. Uh, should you have any documents to be included as part of the file that should be sub submitted to myself, the clerk, uh, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, please line up. Uh, on the west side of the chamber to your right, my left, along those curtains. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Finance Committee Clerk, at b-r-e-n-t dot j-a-l-i-p-a at s-f-g-o-v dot o-r-g. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office on City Hall. That's 1, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And uh, finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of January 9th, 2024, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you. And um, before we call the item number one, I would like to just remind everyone that um, we have budget and legislative analyst reports for items two through 16 on today's agenda. Uh, and for those items, we will have the department presentation first, followed by um, the budget and legislative analyst re report. Then we will take questions and public comment. Mr. Clerk, please call item number one. Yes, item number one is a hearing to consider the citywide project labor agreement or PLA that was executed uh, the annual reports for fiscal years 2020 to 2021, 21 to 22, and 22 to 23 that highlight the efforts, accomplishments, and challenges encountered and the preliminary high-level methodology developed to evaluate whether the PLA has promoted the efficient economical and timely completion of PLA-covered projects, the cost of covered projects, and the PLA's impact on local business enterprises and the local workforce. Madam Chair. Thank you, and this item, uh, this hearing item is um, leading by Supervisor Safai, and the floor is yours. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, thank you uh, to everyone that joined us here today uh, from Organized Labor and the departments. Um, thank you, Chair Chan, for scheduling this also before the end of the year. I know there's a lot going on, really appreciate, but we wanted to get this in um, as there are projects in the pipelines and there needs to be some clarification on the city side and understanding where we are and what we've accomplished to date. Um, I was very proud to be part of this uh, negotiations to lead the effort to pass a citywide project labor agreement uh, back in 2019. Uh, there were a lot of people that talked about getting this done and there was not a lot of progress for a few years. Um, but I really wanna thank uh, folks from the building trades that, that engaged with us, stepped up, and allowed us to really move the conversation forward. Uh, there were a lot of long hours. Uh, there were some heated disagreements, but at the end of the day, we ended up getting to the finish line, and I think we set the tone for something special in San Francisco. Now the question is, is that being fully implemented? Is the law being followed? And is the city fully uh, fulfilling the goals that were set out 
in the original legislation. So that's why I called this hearing. I think it's important to have a check-in uh, to check on the progress of implementation. Uh, so we're going to uh, look at what was required and we're gonna ask the controller's office and the Office of Labor Standard Enforcement to report back on this progress of implementation. So I'm not gonna say much more uh, so we can get into the presentations, but just so we know the run of show, we have uh, Mark De La Rosa from the controller's office. He's the director of audits that's going to present. Uh, Hunter Wang, also from the controller's office. Uh, Pat Mulligan from the Office of Labor Standards and Enforcement will also uh, speak. And then we're gonna provide some time from Rudy Gonzalez from the Building Trades. And then we'll have questions from committee members and, and then we'll move forward. So we, what we really wanna get into, and we have, as I said, Mark De La Rosa, uh, Pat Mulligan from o OLSC and the Controller's Office is, which projects are currently in the pipeline that will be covered by the PLA? And we'll kind of look at that and get into that. So I'm gonna hand this over now to Mark and Hunter uh, from the controller's office to present. Thank you, supervisors. Uh, Chair Chen, Supervisors Mendelman and Safai, Mark De La Rosa from the controller's office. I'm joined today by Hunter Wong, as well as our uh, staff who worked on this uh, report, um, uh, Oscar Ramos and Singhua Huen. Uh, before we turn it over to uh, Hunter, just a few quick introductory um, slides. Um, on slide two, I believe, from the presentation that we have, um, we're just highlighting some um, information uh, just to uh, highlight some of the background and intro. Um, as you know, back in February 2019, the Board of Supervisors uh, passed the uh, Project Labor Agreement Ordinance. Part of the requirement is actually the uh, hearing that is before you today uh, to hear progress on the PLA covered projects. Um, part of the requirement as well is for the uh, controller's office uh, to report out on some of the key highlights um, and updates on the PLA covered projects. Um, this is something that we've been working on in the last three years. We've been issuing our annual reports since 2021. Um, and the last one that we issued was actually in August of 2023. Uh, turn it over to uh, Hunter to uh, cover some of the uh, background and, and uh, updates so far. And you're gonna put the slides on the screen? We do have some slides. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Mark. Good morning, members of the board. Uh, Hunter Wong with the controller's office. Uh, ultimately, the city's policies goals for the PLA was to minimize work disruption on city construction projects and to improve San Francisco residents' access to uh, union construction jobs. In light of those goals, the PLA does set some obligations on contractors and unions. Uh, contractors must use union halls for all work except for certain roles, such as clerical or supervisory roles. They must pay fringe benefits to respective union trust funds unless they are a qualified registered LBE. And they also must follow existing local hire and prevailing wage requirements. Unions must refrain from strikes, picketing, work stoppages, lockouts, interference, or any other type of labor disruptive activity for any reason. Uh, they're also to enter into an agreement with the city-funded City Build Academy, OEWD, to provide pathways for San Francisco residents into uh, apprenticeship programs at the trade unions. Uh, there are three criteria for which a project may be considered covered. 
by the PLA, uh, a given project only has to meet one of these criteria. Uh, under criterion one, uh, a contract that is funded in whole or in part by GO bonds or revenue bonds and the estimated contract, the estimated cost of that contract exceeds the value thresholds in the advertisement bid period as listed below. So in that first bullet point, uh, any contract exceeding $5 million in that advertisement bid period window between July 14th, 2020 through July 13th, 2021 would be considered covered and uh, so on and so forth for $3 million and $1 million uh, with their respective advertisement bid periods as listed there as well. Uh, criterion two, the estimated project value exceeds $10 million and is funded by a source other than GO bonds or revenue bonds. And lastly, the third criteria is that a department, has a department head has determined that a delay in completing the covered project may lead to interruption or delay of services or use of facilities that are important to the essential operations of the city. Um, LBEs that are registered with the city, um, whether they are a prime or acting as a sub, may be declared exempt from the PLA requirements until they have received uh, value of contract award work on covered projects exceeding $5 million cumulatively over the duration of the PLA. Just to discuss some roles and responsibilities of departments under the citywide PLA, uh, the Office of Labor Standards Enforcement handles uh, general administration of the PLA and also coordinates with stakeholder departments and the Trades Council on PLA matters. Uh, this could include scheduling and facilitating pre-bid and pre-construction and pre-job meetings, as well as managing the LBE exemption process, uh, including tracking payments issued to LBEs and the letters of assent and statements of exemptions submitted by LBEs. Um, Public Works and Reckon Park, as their respective owners of their projects, uh, manage, advertise, and execute PLA-covered projects, and also collect, update, and report on uh, information related to the prime contractor and subcontractors. Uh, specifically for Public Works, uh, they do provide contract administration procurement services for all covered projects, and they also provide construction management services on most covered projects. The Contract Monitoring Division coordinates with city stakeholders on any matters related to LBEs and the LBE community. Uh, OEWD, also City Build, uh, develops direct entry agreements. Um, they coordinate with the Trades Council to develop these, and they also administer local hiring requirements set in uh, Administrative Code Chapter 82. Lastly, the Systems Division of the Controller's Office uh, supports departments by developing dashboards. Um, and they also test functionality for the CMGC type and design build type contracts. Uh, the controller's office in coordination with the city administrator's office jointly convenes a PLA working group consisting of the departments that I just mentioned previously. Uh, this PLA working group meets periodically um, and focuses on goals and tasks to ensure that um, the PLA is implemented. Uh, this includes ensuring that program and project setups, tracking, and reporting by the departments are implemented, along with any necessary procedures or processes to monitor and enforce PLA requirements. Departments supported by the Controller's Office Systems Division also track, monitor, and report on their PLA compliance. Uh, a lot of this is done within the city's financial system, uh, PeopleSoft. Lastly, Public Works and Rec and Park continue to advertise and award PLA-covered projects. Uh, construction work is already underway on several of these projects, uh, the first of which is anticipated to be completed this fiscal year. As of June 30th, 2023, Public Works had advertised 20 PLA-covered projects with an estimated value of over $336 million.
As mentioned previously, OEWD continues to provide pre-apprenticeship and construction administration training through its CityBuild Academy for San Francisco residents. It places graduates of its academy into joint apprenticeship programs. I've already mentioned the Controller's Office Systems Division, uh, creating dashboards to help track payments, especially for LBEs. Lastly, the PLA Working Group continues to resolve the following issues, uh, identifying subcontractors that are added to PLA projects after the award or pre-job meeting. Uh, they also work to clarify the LBE exemption process and payment tracking for LBEs on construction manager, general contractor, CMGC type PLA projects. Uh, transitioning exempt LBEs to being covered by the PLA mid-contract is another issue that the working group is working on resolving. And lastly, coordinating PLA applicability between departments involved in the PLA, administering the PLA. As of June 30th, 2023, uh, no PLA covered projects were completed. Um, so in anticipation of these projects becoming completed, the Controller's Office Audits Division has developed a preliminary high-level methodology and framework to evaluate whether the PLA ultimately promotes the efficient, economical, and timely completion of covered projects. Uh, the evaluation will analyze the impact of the PLA. Um, we'll use cost and performance data from projects to evaluate the impact of the PLA on those projects. Um, and then in collaboration with CMD, we will also evaluate the PLA's impact on LBEs and the local workforce. Uh, the next three slides are tables. Um, so I'll just give a high-level summary. This slide shows PLA-covered projects by award date. Um, so far, 23 of these projects uh, awarded by Public Works and Reckon Park in a total contract amount of over $428 million. This slide shows advertised PLA-covered projects uh, that are not yet awarded as of November 9th, 2023. Uh, this is the Japantown Peace Plaza and Lake Merced Bond Program 2012 project, both by Reckon Park for eight, uh, over $18 million estimated contract amount. Lastly, this, this slide shows uh, planned PLA-covered projects. There are currently 23 planned projects, totaling an uh, estimated contract amount over $381 million. And I'll be turning it over to uh, OLSE to present implementation accomplishments for the PLA. Thank you, Chair Chan, Supervisor Sefai and Mendelman. Um, I'll move on to the next slide. Um, PLA Administrative Overview. Um, the Office of Labor Standards Enforcement educates contractors, awarding bodies, and members of the public about project labor agreement requirements. We evaluate projects for PLA applicability and track all bid advertisements and contract awards on behalf of awarding departments. OLC also manages PLA requirements on awarded projects. To date, we've received 284 letters of assent, 88 of those by local business enterprises, and 46 statements of exemption. OLC also tracks and verifies LBE exemption eligibility, monitors payments to LBEs relative to the $5 million threshold, 
and supports LBEs transitioning out of exempt status, especially as this occurs mid-project. There are currently four LBEs that have exceeded the exemption threshold to date, DRC and Hardy, Construction Incorporated, Esquival Grading and Paving, Bauman Landscape and Construction, and Precision Engineering. There's several more, and we have a broad list we're tracking, which we'll be sharing an updated version of at the Joint Administrative Committee meeting. And PLA accomplishments to date, as we're tracking, um, we've currently coordinated 47 pre-job meetings across all PLA projects. We convened the Joint Administrative Committee meeting on June 7th this past year, and we have um, had scheduled one for the 7th last week, but it was postponed at the request of the Building Trades Council. And to date, consistent with the terms of the PLA, no strikes, lockouts, or work stoppages. And that concludes my portion of the report, and I'll make myself available for any questions. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> before you, not necessarily you, um, I don't see the city attorney here, but wanted to make sure, are there representatives from Rec and Park and, and, and Public Works here? Both departments are, okay. are represented here today, Supervisor. Just wanted to make sure, um, uh, Director Mulligan, one of the things as I was looking at the list and, and thinking about want to make sure that there's no confusion, for example, see the Crocker Amazon project with, that's partnership with the Giants. I know we have the Indian Basin project that's going to be a significant uh, project in terms of size and scope. I'm also thinking about the Marina Harbor, another Rec and Park, PG&E. These are all projects that have city money along with private money. And so I, I wanna make sure that we're, we speak on the record about how private dollars are treated that are added to public projects to make sure that those are also treated and captured under city PLA because you have private money coming in to a public project. Um, and just wanna talk a little bit about that on the record, how, the pri how those private dollars are treated um, and ensuring that they're covered by the citywide PLA for public works and rec and park projects. Thank you, Supervisor. Um, Maybe best directed to the city attorney's office, but if I may, um, the PLA is explicit on these matters for the uh -huh. thresholds. Mm -hmm. It's a $1 million threshold for any bond-funded projects, and for any funding anything other than bond fund, that would include general fund or any other city resources, but that would include commingling with any private resources, it's a $10 million threshold. And I think that's clear in the project labor agreement. Okay. It looked like there were some folks from Public Works who were getting ready to walk up to the microphone, but I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, I'd like to hear from Public Works as well since they're implementing the, a lot of this in real time. Uh, good morning, Supervisors. Bruce Robertson, CFO for Public Works. Joining me is Kelly Redneck, a project manager for Rec Park. The projects you listed really were um, Rec Park projects, but as both Mark De La Rosa from the Controller's Office and Hunter Wang, as well as Pat Mulligan from OLSC outlined, we do look at and work in quite close collaboration with them to ensure all applicable projects are applied and we follow the funding sources based on the letter of the law. 
So I, I will turn it over to Kelly since those projects specifically mentioned are rec park and, and not public works. Good morning, um, Kelly Rudnick with Rec and Park. Um, we do uh, recognize that those projects are partnerships with um, private funding coming in. Um, we also recognize that that private funding, if there is no bond funding, we know the thresholds, right? The 1 million with bond funding, the 10 million if there's no bond funding and all of the projects um, are cost estimated and planning for PLA um, according to the PLA regulations. Great, okay, I just wanted to just clarify that just so there wasn't any confusion in the future. I mean, I also see some public works projects on here as well that I think get private foundation money for Zuckerberg, General, and others, but that's fine. I think you've clarified it on the record. That was one of the points that I wanted to make and ask. Okay, thank you. I think the next person we're gonna call up, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, Rudy Gonzalez from the Building Trades. Uh, thank you, Chair Chan um, and Supervisor Safai. Fun microphone stands. Um, Rudy Gonzalez, San Francisco Building Trades uh, Council. I'm the Secretary Treasurer, but uh, importantly, as an elected labor leader, it's my job to uh, be a spokesperson, and I couldn't be more proud than to speak on behalf of the skilled and trained and hardworking members, many of them San Franciscans and native San Franciscans themselves, that are here uh, to observe and participate in some way in this hearing. Um, you know, one of my colleagues is here from uh, who I consider a colleague because of their partnership with us and their shared values and goals from uh, OEWD and CityBuild. And I wanted to note uh, that Director Nim is uh, in another meeting, but I know Emily from his team is here. Um, they're a valued partner in this process, and I'd like to draw your attention to their most recent report. In their most recent report, it's the, it's titled their 2023 a report on local hire and apprenticeship utilization, um, but it, it tabulates data in the year prior, right? Mm -hmm. So they're currently compiling the 2023 data as we wind down the year, and that'll be published in 2024. In that data, you'll see uh, city departments with active construction projects and departments that have already uh, measured local hire and local apprenticeship utilization. And I would direct the uh, committee's attention to the uh, list of departments, which I can uh, highlight for you, although I did not put them in a slide deck. Um, it is uh, in the uh, report. The departments that are not covered under a PLA, because let's be clear, the citywide PLA builds upon an existing partnership with the private sector and the Building and Construction Trades Council on behalf of labor and the public sector, where we had existing project labor agreements at SFO, uh, for 20 some odd years, and that's now been renegotiated uh, and will extend into the future. Um, we also had the uh, sewer system improvement program that uh, then was amended and covers the WISIP projects, and we have good partners at the PUC uh, who help facilitate that. So the citywide PLA really builds on those successes. And I would um, offer respectfully that for departments like SFO, PUC, and now SF Public Works and Rec and Park. So I'm setting aside our good friends at the port, our good friends at the MTA, our good friends at MoCD and the DA's office who also have active projects that were looked at during this look back period. Um, our numbers, where there's a PLA present, where there's a facilitated relationship, where there is a true partnership, actually trend higher and have better outcomes for not just apprentices on the whole, 
but for local workers in San Francisco. And so I really see the citywide PLA as a policy extension of some values that the Board of Supervisors has adopted and had adopted you know, a decade or more ago as we enter, I think, our 13th year of construction under um, the local hire ordinance, we're now able to show that this is the kind of mechanical implementation of some of those stated policy goals. So we're immensely proud. Um, yes, it is a compromise and a trade-off. In the private sector, our members value and while we are reserved in our approach to these actions, we never take off the table our fundamental right as trade unionists, as people, to withhold our labor if there's a safety issue, to withhold our labor if there's a lack of dignity um, or respect on the job. But in this instance, we give up that very sacred right to participate alongside of our city partners. And I want to draw your attention to one number, a statistic that uh, Director Patrick Mulligan brought up. He referenced letters of assent that have been signed. And I think the number, uh, Director, was 288, if I wasn't mistaken. That represents 288, and there can be duplications because there are, in fact, some good local contractors who are being awarded work on multiple projects for multiple departments. But those 288 letters of assent represent contractors signing up to work under this PLA and by extension applying and uh, uh, agreeing to be bound by all of the terms of the PLA. Now that means that regardless of whether or not they were signatory to a union before they were awarded that work or this is the first time they're going to have access to the union hiring hall, those 288 letters of assent represent individual contractors and importantly workers and crews who will have an equal playing field and who have had access to the same uh, gold standards of healthcare, the same safety standards, the same wage standards, regardless of whether or not they were union before that job or they ever become union afterwards. And I think that great equalizing force has had a positive impact on the industry, but importantly, a positive impact on the outcomes for workers. So we're immensely proud. I, I want to um, thank specifically Director Patrick Mulligan, uh, who at OLSE, who his department had more than enough work to do before that. And as the Budget and Finance Committee, I hope there's due consideration giving, notwithstanding the deficits and challenges the city faces, but it's not often um, called out in the budget process that the small, lean, mighty Office of Labor Standards Enforcement had no shortage of rules, had no shortage of laws on the books, and through the pandemic has only taken on more to protect all San Francisco workers and partner with businesses for the purposes of compliance. Um, and I hope that there's due attention by this committee given to their staffing needs and to their future because it's very much tied to positive outcomes and protections for working class people in San Francisco. I also want to thank Mark De La Rosa and his colleague Hunter from the controller's office. We know the controller has been uh, a very effective um, and, and um, uh, a cooperative partner. Um, at the time, and I would be remiss if I didn't call this out, Although, Supervisor, you took the liberty of saying it yourself. Um, you, as Supervisor uh, and now Board President, then Supervisor Aaron Peskin, played integral roles. Every member who voted to support a project labor agreement and to lift up standards in construction um, participated. But then Supervisor Peskin and Supervisor Safai played a role at the table, not for themselves, but representing the city, representing contractors, frankly, but representing organized labor. Um, and I also would be remiss if I didn't talk about the people who kind of started the effort over two decades ago, which were my predecessors, Michael Terrio, who um, is still 
a San Franciscan and still very much involved, uh, and Tim Paulson, uh, who now hails at the PUC as a commissioner, both of which put in countless hours alongside our officers. Um, and the last time our rank and file members were here, they were demanding justice for construction workers. Now we're able to look back with a, a data-informed perspective to see just how successful this has been. I would say our work is unfinished finally in that we have an opportunity to look at other city departments who could realize the efficiencies and realize the positive outlook and positive impact to local workers and particularly apprentices as the city kind of takes on the next phase of our economic recovery. I think it's more important now than it's ever been to make sure that we're being thoughtful about any publicly funded projects, whether they're at MTA or the important seawall work we know we all have to do together at the port for climate resiliency, or even in the housing crisis. There's probably no issue uh, that's talked about more in some of these chambers than the housing crisis that we're faced. Um, the city has a role to play not only in you know, promoting uh, effective implementation of state and local laws, but you also have a role to play in your housing element, and you have a role to play as the financer and developer of housing, and we believe that all construction workers should be treated fairly, equitably, union or not, and safely. This is one of the more dangerous industries still operating in the city, and we think that we have a lot to gain by extending terms and processes and laws like this into the housing space and into the infrastructure space at other departments to continue this successful partnership. So proud to be here and thankful for the staff time and input and available for questions. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Mr. Gonzalez, I, I do want to, so it's talked a lot about what's working well. We pointed to a lot of the uh, successes and the milestones. Um, and, and you said someone was here from CityBuild? Yes, I do believe uh, they're represented today. And if, if I could, through the chair, um, we held the 38th CityBuild Cycle Academy graduation at Local 38. And President Mazzola is not here because he's home ill right now, but um, they accepted several members out of that class, and they have another four CityBuild graduates that are going to have direct entry into Local 38's apprenticeship, which is next to Local 6, one of the few that are still here in the city. Right. So we're really excited about the direct entry uh, and MOUs that have been negotiated with CityBuild to create seamless paths from pre-apprenticeship into registered apprenticeship in our union uh, joint administrated programs. So I, I want to give an opportunity, before you sit down, I want to give an opportunity for them to come up and say a couple words. But So you talked a lot about what's working. Can you just highlight, I, I know you mentioned some of the departments that you'd like to expand this to, and we've talked about that in the past. We almost got the, uh, in the last uh, MTA bond, we did put the PLA language in. Unfortunately, the voters did not pass that. So I think that's now precedent. Uh, we worked uh, hard to get that set. I think that's a positive thing, and so that conversation will continue. You highlighted the port in MOHCD. But what are some of the things that we could be doing better? What are some of the things that maybe the city's, I mean, I highlighted the commingling of funds that's now set on the record. What are, what are some of the concerns uh, that you all have in terms of implementation and things that we might need to think about improving? From an implementation standpoint, I think things have been uh, pretty positive. Great. In terms of OLSE playing that central administrative role, um, there uh, are always uh, areas uh, that we can improve upon. It was a difficult time to implement because, you know, if, if, if I had my druthers, the city would have put more 
contracts out to bid during the pandemic, frankly, and put more work on the streets. Mm -hmm. um, we still uh, see a uh, unnecessarily and unfortunately high number of uh, skilled construction workers who are out of work in San Francisco, which is different than uh, surrounding jurisdictions. And there's a number of reasons that play into that. But I think in, in terms of like, how do we make it better and how do we improve? I think we should look at areas where the city needs to prioritize the um, highest level of productivity. Because one of the things that's often overlooked, we talk a lot about the legal construct of a project labor agreement, which requires this trade-off between an agency um, and uh, labor organizations for labor peace, right? Um, now, I can't think of a place where we have more of an urgent need than in the housing space. And I think whether or not it's coordinated through MoCD or it's construction management that's coming out of DPW or another agency, all of our city agencies should be looking to participate in meeting the needs of our housing crisis. And I believe that those are appropriate ways to expand and extend uh, the city project labor agreement. As I understand it, those are already covered. I think that having that PLA working group um, agendize and have a thoughtful discussion about what that could mean and how we could actually put the best in the city to work on one of the most urgent needs is an area that I think deserves time and space, just like any other housing discussion, be it at planning or this committee or any other body. Okay. Um, so I think that that's an area. I think that um, the departments who don't have uh, a project labor agreements, um, we can explore those on a case-by-case mm. -case basis, but if we're up to me, I think that's an area that demands our attention collectively, and I know we're certainly willing to partner on uh, those projects. Right. And I, I think there's precedent, too, uh, based on the financing side, the way hmm. the city is the financer of many of the affordable housing projects. If you look at the way documents can be under, underwritten, you can require certain labor standards based on the loan itself, maybe not necessarily owning it being a public project, but the financing of that project with, with public dollars. And so uh, I think that that's something I'm happy to work with you on. I'm happy to work with Chair and others on um, because I think at the end of the day, as has been talked about, when you think about the, in, the implementation, the actual final product, and then the results of the employment and pathways it creates and the standards it creates, I think it's an important thing to consider. And so that's, that's definitely a, an angle to continue the conversation on is using city dollars to finance uh, affordable housing and public projects as a way to continue that conversation. Uh, if it's okay, Supervisor, I would just add one more thing. Sure. That um, sharing best practices across city departments who have a longer history of using a community workforce agreement or project labor agreement is also something I would respectfully encourage. Uh, the SFPUC has some really incredibly complex and important infrastructure jobs that are covered. They have a very efficient joint administrative committee, which is also uh, a mechanism that uh, lives within this document. Um, and I think that the departments could share information uh, and perhaps share best practices across the departments. I know that enterprise-funded departments tend to kind of exist in their own ecosystem or prefer to uh, see it that way. Um, but we certainly have a lot of great experience at the PUC with respect to neighborhood hiring initiatives on major projects, um, uh, the level of communication and coordination from the general manager of the agency all the way down to line staff and contractor partners. So I do think um, being intentional about 
kind of that cross-pollination effect between PUC, airport, um, and the, the departments that are now covered uh, under PLAs, I think, could only stand to benefit in terms of best practices. Thank you. Thank you. So, so can is the person from, oh, great. I know you weren't necessarily on the agenda, but if you could just say a few words about how the PLA has impacted CityBuild and just so the committee can hear and the public can hear. Sure. Uh, so good morning. Uh, my name is Emily with the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Um, so I think one thing to highlight as an accomplishment of the PLA is uh, the direct entry agreements that we were able to um, get signed. So uh, City Bill Director Ken Nim uh, did work in the last year to finish the uh, direct entry agreements with all uh, the labor unions in the city, which was a big accomplishment for our program. Uh, through these direct entry agreements, we are able to kind of open more opportunities to our City Build. Uh, graduates, so our training graduates and special training graduates. I'm sorry, can uh, you sure. just say for the record what direct entry means so in case there's people that don't understand what that means? Yes, of course. So uh, through these direct entry agreements, uh, there are uh, MOUs or agreements with the labor unions where graduates of our program um, either get a, uh, so the unions would take, like some unions would take one to five graduates of our program directly into their into their uh, apprenticeship program, so they get direct entry into the unions. Um, and then for some unions that have uh, testing, um, they might get extra points for their, um, for their score if they're a graduate of CityBuild. And then there are also some agreements where they get a direct in to interview uh, process, so they're able to skip some of the steps to become, uh, to go into uh, the union and join and, the apprenticeship. And all of that was as a result of signing the citywide PLA. These are new developments that came across as part of that original agreement in 2019, correct? Um, so we did, CityBuild Academy does, uh, did have some uh, direct entry agreements prior to the PLA, but uh, with the signing of the PLA, that opened the doors to the rest of the labor unions that we had not signed agreements with previously. So it expanded the pool of, yes. of skilled crafts that were willing to accept that process? Yes. Great, so that's a great result. And, and do you have the numbers, or do you have, I mean, you don't have to have it now, but it would be something that would be helpful for this body to see the number of people. I know you highlighted there were four on this, um, that direct had got direct entry into the plumbers union. Um, that's uh, yes. But if, it would be good to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we could definitely provide uh, more information and the details of each agreement. They're all slightly different depending on what type of trade. Um, so we can definitely provide that information <coughs> to the board. But it's generally been positive, and you've seen a larger pool of, of individuals from CityBuild that have gone into opportunities for employment. Yeah, so I did want to point out that, you know, in the past year, there hasn't been too many um, or too much opportunity on the PLA project specifically because they haven't been too active. I think in this coming year, we'll probably see a little bit more activity. Right. Um, but through the PLA or do these direct entry agreements, we do also get more opportunities um, to get people into the union, which also helps people get onto jobs throughout the city. Since, you know, the city has plenty of jobs, not just the ones um, covered in the PLA, but it does open opportunities onto those other jobs as well. So it's not just the PLA jobs that this has created pathways for, but it's also opportunities from within the union to their entire universe of job opportunities. Correct, yes. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming up. Uh, I know that you weren't necessarily asked to present, but just wanted to hear from that, uh, from you. I don't, I don't think there's a BLA report, is there? No, okay. So if we, Madam Chair, if we can open up the public comment, if anyone wants to comment on this item, uh, please come forward. 
for the public comment. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, good morning, Madam Chair and Supervisors. <laughs> John Doherty, Electrical Workers, Local 6, uh, Vice President of the Subcrafts for the San Francisco Building Trades. Um, just want to thank uh, all of you for your support over the years on our efforts to try and capture work under the PLA. I have a special thanks to Supervisor Safai. I was there with him for those long hours uh, as we negotiated it. Uh, this is proving to be uh, a very effective tool to get people uh, into the skilled trades, uh, or the subcrafts that I uh, represent. Uh, as far as the city build agreement that's in the PLA, that was modeled after an agreement that I worked with uh, our apprenticeship and Pat Mulligan when he was uh, over at OEWD. Um, so it's been successful way to try and remove barriers uh, for people coming into town, or coming into the trade, sorry, not coming into town. <laughs> uh, one thing I would note is that uh, we've had difficulty uh, in the electrical workers, and I know the plumbers have faced similar challenges uh, with the hollowing out of work in the downtown core uh, as a result of the pandemic and anything else that came after it, and we don't need to really get into that. Uh, the number of hours we've had available has dropped uh, dramatically, uh, and with it, our ability to take in apprentices. So it's been four years since we put a new apprentice to work uh, out of Local 6. Uh, we are seeing some green shoots now that we hope uh, will help us uh, open things up and uh, expand our opportunities. Uh, one thing I would say is an unintended consequence of some of the gray area of the PLA is uh, some projects aren't covered. Uh, you know, we just hope people would understand that if you, every project that isn't covered uh, doesn't uh, guarantee that uh, an apprentice is gonna get on there out of one of our programs. And um, also with the LBE, I understand the importance of the LPE exemption process, but just understand that once again, uh, those are hours that can't go to local apprentices. Just so, because time has elapsed. Thank well, thank you, John Doherty, for uh, addressing this committee. Uh, we do invite other members of the public uh, who wish to comment on this hearing to please line up uh, along those curtains. And yes, each uh, speaker will be allowed two minutes. Thank you, Supervisors. Alex Landsberg, Research and Advocacy Director with the Electrical Industry. I just wanted to add a little bit more to what Mr. Doherty had just said. Uh, a, a quick analysis of, building, of electrical and plumbing permits that I did uh, not too long ago showed that activity in the downtown core is down by 75%. That mean, And overall electrical permit activity is down by half over uh, where we were pre-COVID times. So the... Uh, the problems that John described over here that flow directly from there. And, and the PLA is really an, an, an excellent tool for us to be able to backfill and, and put a lot of people to work. Um, there was some talk about uh, MoCD and, and housing. And I want to be, uh, I want to provide you a little bit more details. I know that, you know, questions of loans that, uh, and their coverage under the PLA, that's, that's one issue. But if we take a look at a number of the affordable housing projects that have been uh, let uh, or bid out not too long ago, there are actually city grants in there. There are, there are dollars coming from the Inclusionary Housing Fund, certainly over $10 million uh, on a lot of them. And the, the city's position that a project that is financed, funded, directed by and ultimately built on a land owned by the city is not a public work, just doesn't stand, uh, just 
doesn't make sense, uh, really. So we're hoping for that clarification, and I think once we do, we'll really be able to see more people uh, get put to work. Thank you. Thank you much, Alex Landsberg. Next speaker, please. Hello, my name is Dave Fahey. I am um, the business development from uh, UA Local 38 Plumbers and Pipe Fitters of San Francisco. Um, we've been very pleased with the uh, PLA and how it's been working. There's many high profile projects that we have many members on um, in district scales and it's been very successful for us. Uh, we've hosted um, the city build um, graduation, as mentioned, uh, which was very successful. Um, of course, uh, we don't have a direct entry into our program, but um, the advantages on the testing um, were then given, and um, it, it seems to be working out. We've taken in a class, um, but as mentioned prior, uh, you know, we, we too are slow. So hopefully, um, you know, as the PLAs extend into other sectors, um, work will pick up and we'll be able to um, increase everything. So thanks very much. Thank you much, Dave Fahey. Next speaker, please. Morning, Supervisor Safai, Supervisors Chan, Amanda, and Joshua Arce with the Northern California Laborers Union, and here to speak in strong support of the continued progress and success in implementing this landmark policy. I had the chance to see over six and a half years as the director of city build and our director of workforce development working closely with Emily who you heard from and director Ken Nim and building trades, the departments, the great work of director Mulligan and his team to get to this point and maybe put a little into a little bit of context. Now we're seeing all the benefits of this work. I think brother Rudy had earlier mentioned the report, the annual local hire report for this year, which is a statutory requirement to report out on success of how the building trades, contractors, city departments, city building, community partners are working to increase our local participation on public works. And we saw that in the most recent year, 34% overall local workforce on local hire projects, 51% local apprentices, that number increases dramatically when you have a project labor agreement. The projects covered by this policy had a average 51% local workforce overall, 80% local apprentices. So when you talk about economic recovery tools, when you talk about something to look at, we were just in New York City for the Cornell University Climate Justice Institute, studied city build, our local hire policy, our partnership between labor, community, the contractors and the departments. This is a national model that is worth continuing to keep moving as an economic recovery tool. So thank you for your support. Thank you much, Joshua RSA. Next speaker, please. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Anthony Viscuso, and I'm a business agent for Local 16 Heat and Frost Insulators. And, uh, you know, I wasn't planning on speaking, but this morning, one of my members, one of my journeyman members, is actually working in this, in this building right now on the fourth floor up in the crawl space doing some heat change, some heat pump changes. And um, the interesting thing is that that, that, part, that part of the project is not covered by a PLA. So he's here without an apprentice. His company that he works for currently has an apprentice that was hired through CityBuild because of the PLA that, that was already in place. Um, so our hall too doesn't have a direct entry means of entry, but we have certain, uh, when we have to meet a requirement of local hire, it allows us to actually bypass certain parts of the list and look specifically for a San Francisco resident to put them to work and give them a start. So for my trade, we're very small. Oftentimes you will only see one insulator in a building. 
but whenever there's a PLA, there's always going to be a journeyman and an apprentice. So I'm here to speak in favor of this policy so that we can put more apprentices to work, especially more San Francisco ones. Thank you for your time. Thank you much, Anthony Pescuso. And last call for any speakers. Member Safai through the chair. Thank you, and uh, seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Thank you, uh, thank you, Chair, again, for scheduling this. Um, thank you to Mark De La Rosa, Hunter, Shiwa uh, Wen, Oscar Ramos from the Controller's Office, and Director Mulligan uh, for uh, constantly being a source of information and point of contact for our office and guidance on this. Thank you to Rudy Gonzalez from the Building Trades and all the members of the Building Trades that came out here today uh, specifically uh, from all the different crafts. I'm not going to call you out because I'll probably miss one and then someone will be mad at me. Uh, so I'm just going to say the building trades. Um, <laughs> and thank you all for being here. And, and thank you for your continued engagement on this, ensuring that it's successful, working with our departments, working uh, to hold them accountable, and also share information of what's working, what's not working, and then also the PLA working group. Um, and thank you again to uh, the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, Director Nim um, and his team, uh, former Director uh, Joshua Arce for being here to add some context. And, and I do think it's really important to, to recognize that this has become a national model. It is successful. It is a pathway for employment for many people that wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to get into the trades. And I think that's something that we should all be uplifting and, and celebrating and as the economy begins to pick up, and as these projects uh, that are important, um, a lot of the funding is there. It's been set aside based on previous bonds and other allocations. We need to put that into uh, implementation so we can put people back to work. The economy is going to begin to struggle, but we do have the capital dollars to get these projects up and going that will help to generate and help support the economy. So thank you, uh, Chair Chan, again and I'll make a motion to just file this hearing, um, and then we can have this uh, continuously as we need to check in over the years. Thank you, and um, I, I, I do have a one follow-up oh, question. Oh, sure, sorry. I, I mean, I'm trying to understand, though, because I think that, um, I think uh, Sir Gonzalez has alluded to that, and then I think Mr. John Doherty also had discussed that. It's really about the fact that just seeing some of our housing uh, projects that is not currently covered right. by um, PLA, and then also that's inclusive of our Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing Project and Shelters. Like those, those are not covered by PLA. Well, if it's done, if it's done by Public Works uh, for HSH, it, it is. But you do bring up a good point, and this has been a I mean, I guess um, we should talk about it since it's come up. This has been a major point of contention. Uh, there was a previous director of the Office of, of, of Housing uh, that put in writing uh, that uh, affordable housing projects would be covered uh, by the PLA. Um, and this mayor and this administration has rescinded that position and is not willing to stand by that. So I think it's a, a point of contention uh, it is something that will continue to be, um, I think, uh, continuously negotiated. But unfortunately, uh, right now, uh, Mayor Breed and their office is not willing to stand by that previous agreement. And so we do have the success that we've talked about here today. 
uh, but there is still a point of contention as it relates to affordable housing uh, development. I think that the, the question that I do have, and, and, and I think that I will continue to seek our city attorney's legal advice on this, um, uh, it, just trying to have a better understanding just for all the languages that I have seen. At the end of the day, what we are looking at at the project labor agreement um, is really the fact that we're saying these are public dollars and public projects, and therefore we have the authority and the ability to expand the project labor agreement to these projects. Clearly, so are housing projects um, that the city has been funding. In, in fact, millions, hundreds of millions of public dollars uh, through bond dollars um, really are funding these projects as well. And really, I think that there is a level of expectation that we will see more of these dollars, uh, definitely also from the state um, and a state potential, a state bond. I think that it's rather, I think we, we should somehow settle this question that, that we've been discussing today and presented before us today. Um, so I look forward to seeing what will come after this hearing in terms of both legal advice, uh, but also potential legislation uh, or expansion of both the project labor agreement as well as uh, city bill and to, to continue the expansion of both. Uh, it's really if we want more housing in San Francisco and definitely affordable housing in San Francisco, they should not be subpar housing. Um, they should be quality housing built by uh, workers that n understand to build, to produce quality housing and have both um, safe housing in San Francisco. Um, so for that, I will move that motion to file this hearing and with that, a roll call please. Yes, and on that motion offered by Member Safai that this hearing be heard and filed. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. With that, let's go to item number two. Yes, item number two is an ordinance retroactively authorizing the police department on behalf of the Board of Supervisors for the city and county to accept and expend a grant in the amount of approximately $15.3 million from the Board of State and Community Corrections Organized Retail Theft Grant Program to fund personnel, training, equipment, and other activities in furtherance of combating organized retail theft and motor vehicle accessory or catalytic co converter theft in San Francisco for the period of October 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2027, approving the associated grant agreement under the charter and amending the annual salary ordinance for fiscal years 2023 to 2024 and 24 to 25 for the, uh, to provide for the creation of two grant-funded full-time positions in Class 1823 Senior Administrative Analyst. Madam Chair. Thank you. This was uh, this is a duplicated file. Um, the original file was already passed uh, out of this committee last week, and in fact was voted on uh, at the board supervisor yesterday with the passage of this at this first reading. Uh, this is before us today to just really make sure that we um, articulate clearly the waiver of Chapter 21 for the purchase of the equipment. Um, Vice Chair Mandelman, we have uh, the amendments before you today specifically um, just really um, 
just really for the waiver and both the long title and throughout the legislation showing that um, is to authorize the police department to expand grant funds received. Specifically, again, though, it's only for the waiver is only applicable to the organized um, retail theft grant program. Uh, I don't have any question for you today, to be honest. And I don't think that Vice Chair Mandelman has it either. Um, I think we're happy to go to public comments on this item and then we will return to move um, the amendment unless you have any questions about the amendment uh, or comments about the amendment. No, I, this is Director of Policy and Public Affairs, Diana Roche from the San Francisco Police Department. I just want to thank you, Budget Chair Chan, and Supervisor Mandelman and Supervisor Safai for working with us. Um, Budget Chair, thank you for the opportunity to be able to make sure that we're following the procurement steps accordingly. And I appreciate just in behalf of the department and Chief Scott, the work we've done so far. So thank you. Thank you, thanks for being here. And with that, let's go to public comment on this item. Yes, Madam Chair, we invite members of the public who have joined us today and wish to um, provide comments on this item number two to please approach the lectern now. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. And um, we do have a BLA report on this, except it's the same report as previous. Um, so, and we also heard that report as well. So with that, I would like to move this item. I would first like to amend this item uh, as, uh, as I have talked about, the amendments, and then I would like to move the amended item to full board. Uh, with recommendation. Um, could I do that in one motion? Uh, yes, Madam Chair. Sorry. Yes, on that motion. Hold, hold on one, one oh, second. I, I see I, that I, Deputy City Attorney Sarah Crowley. Deputy City Attorney Sarah Crowley. Uh, Chair Chan, I just wanted to note that this would be a substantive amendment, so it would need to be continued to next January. Board, uh, <laughs> committee meet, uh, hearing in January. Understood. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate that for flagging. Because I was like, we talk about this, but got it. Um, with that, we'd like to make the amendment to the legislation and continue to the next um, meeting. If Mr. Clerk can help me with the date, which is the next scheduled um, Budget and Finance Committee meeting in January. Uh, that would be January 10th, Madam Chair. January 10th, it is. And with that, a uh, motion to amend and continue to January 10th. Yes, uh, on the, oh, sorry. Uh, yes, and on that motion to accept the amendments, has offered um, and to continue the uh, ordinance as amended to the January 10th meeting of this committee. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safai absent. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have two ayes with Member Safai absent. Thank you, and the motion passes. Thank you. And uh, let's call, I Mr. Clip, please call item number three. Yes, item number three is a resolution approving the Director of Public Works' uh, declaration of emergency under the administrative code to replace chiller, boiler, and cooling towers and perform associated repair and upgrades at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, estimated the cost in excess of 250000 and affirming the planning department's determination under the California Environmental Quality Act. Madam Chair. Thank you. The department has requested uh, that we continue this item, and so um, we are going to continue this item to January 10, understanding the urgency uh, of this uh, repair. Uh, and so we'll just wait until to have the department presentation and the BLA report 
then uh, on January 10. And with that, uh, let's go to public comment on this item for the continuance. Uh, yes, we do invite members of the public who wish to uh, comment on the continuance of this resolution um, to approach the lectern now. Madam Chair, we have no, uh, we have no speakers. Thank you, and seeing no public comments, public comment is now close. And uh, I'd like to move this. Before we do that, we should uh, excuse Supervisor Safai um, as he's heading to chair the retirement board meeting. And I don't see any objection to excuse Supervisor Safai. He is excused. And then uh, let's move this item to full board, I mean, to continue to January 10th. Uh, with that, a roll call, please. Uh, yes, on that motion to continue this resolution to the January 10th meeting of this committee. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Uh, we have two ayes with members Huffey excused. Thank you, and the motion passes. Please call item number four. Yes, item number four is a resolution authorizing the San Francisco Public Library to accept and expend a grant in the amount of $6.3 million from the California State Library for direct support for the main library seismic moat and roofing replacement projects for the period starting how the date of execution of the agreement by both parties until June 30th, 2027. Madam Chair. Thank you. And we have uh, Maureen Singleton, uh, Chief Operating Officer from San Francisco Public Library. Good morning, Chair Chan and Supervisor Mandelman. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Maureen Singleton. I am the Chief Operating Officer for the San Francisco Public Library. The item before you today is a resolution to accept and expend state grant monies for two vital projects at our beloved main library here in the Civic Center. Uh, I appreciate the committee scheduling this in December as we have a tight de deadline with the state to submit the the resolution to them in January. With me today is the library's capital project manager, Lisa Valerio, as well as the capital senior project analyst, uh, Jessica Roberts, to, and we're available to answer any questions that you might have about the specific projects. I'm gonna give you a little bit of background about the grant monies themselves and, and some information about the projects. Uh, and, and then request your, your approval of the grant. So in 2021, the state set aside some one-time monies for the uh, California Library Infrastructure Grant Program. It's the largest investment in California state libraries in over 20 years. The general criteria for eligible projects are things such as uh, addressing critical infrastructure and maintenance needs, improve energy efficiency and sustainability, and expand access both digitally and physically for uh, library systems. The maximum amount that is available to be awarded per facility is $10 million. There have been two rounds of funding, and these grants require matching funds. The library for round two submitted an application of just over $6.9 million for two capital projects at the main library addressing critical maintenance needs for our seismic moat, which is the moat that goes around the main library and assists in any seismic events so that the, it dampens the impact of the seismic event on the building structure itself. The other 
project that is funded with these grant monies is the roof replacement and repair. Both of these building systems are original to the building, which was opened nearly 28 years ago. The grant monies that were awarded totaled $6.3 million, and for each of these projects, it funds approximately 45% of the total projected project costs. So these critical maintenance infrastructure investments allow us to maximize the service life of critical infrastructure at our main library, enhances health and safety for our patrons, staff, and general public, and improves access to the building at the street level. With that, we respectfully ask for the committee's approval of the resolution to accept and expend the grant monies from the state in the amount of $6.3 million. And again, I'm available to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Good morning, Supervisors. Nick Menard from the Budget Legislative Analyst Office. Item four, this is a resolution that would approve um, the, the library to accept and expend um, a state grant of $6.3 million. The grant will be used to fund um, two projects at the main library. We're um, upgrading the roof and the seismic moat of the building, which is an engineering intervention to provide earthquake resilience. Uh, we detailed the project costs on page 14 of our report. You can see the grant um, will provide about $6.3 million spread roughly evenly between the two projects. The grant requires a matching fund of one-to-one, -one, uh, which will be provided by the Library Preservation Fund, and that uh, funding will also be used to cover any remaining project costs, which at this time are estimated to be $13.94 million. Recommend approval of item four. Thank you. Spy Vice Chair Mendelman. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. This item is making me feel very old uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it does not seem like the opening of the main library was almost 30 years ago, but I guess it was. Um, uh, at any rate, thanks for rustling up the funds and um, for your work, and I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor. Yeah. Great. Thank you. And with that, uh, would like to move to open public comments for this item. Thank you, Madam Chair. Any members of the public who wish to speak on this resolution, now is the time to line up along those curtains and approach the lectern. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. And we'd like to move this item uh, to full board with recommendation. And with that, uh, roll call, please. And on that motion forward to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have two ayes with Member Safai excused. Thank you, and the motion passes. And with that, let's go to item number five, please. Item number five is a resolution approving and authorizing the mayor and the director of the mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development to execute an amendment to a grant agreement with Eviction Defense Collaborative, Inc. to increase the grant amount by an amount not to exceed $4.4 million for a grant agreement total in the amount of approximately $6.3 million, an aggregate grant amount of approximately $11.4 million, related to the provision of eviction-related legal assistance through MoCD's Tenant Right to Counsel Program 
to eligible San Francisco tenants effective upon approval of this resolution with no changes to the term of January 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2024, approving the form of and authorizing the execution of the grant agreement and granting general authority to city officials to take actions necessary to implement this resolution as defined within. Madam Chair. Thank you, and we have the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development here. Thank you, and good morning, Chair Chan and Vice Chair Mandelman. Ugo Ramirez, Manager of Eviction Prevention and Housing Stabilization Programs at the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Our Tenant Right to Counsel program is the most extensive eviction legal defense program in California, and one of the most extensive uh, nationwide. It is the result of a 2018 ballot measure, Prop F, and it is a nationally recognized program that provides universal access to city-funded legal representation for tenants facing eviction. The program has a total of eight community-based legal services organizations that deliver these services. Uh, the Eviction Defense Collaborative, or the EDC, one of these legal services organizations, manages the referral process and overall program operations. The program serves 2,200 households annually. Households served are disproportionately extremely low income uh, and black indigenous people of color. And they live in most all of San Francisco's neighborhoods. With our existing capacity, about 80% of tenants who avail themselves of the program receive the gold standard full-scope legal representation, which means that tenants receive representation throughout the legal process. Those tenants who do not receive full-scope legal representation still receive extensive legal assistance, such as uh, help with the requisite court form so that they get their day in court, and representation during the pretrial settlement conference. Our goal is to continue to scale up the program uh, to provide all Prop F eligible tenants with full scope legal representation by the end of next fiscal year. MOHCD collects rich program data and monitors program performance on a regular basis. We are currently working on a report that will focus on fiscal year 22-23. Consistent with national studies, our program demonstrates that full scope legal representation achieves significantly better results for tenants than in cases where tenants received less intensive services. It should be noted that even in cases where the tenant ultimately moved out, the legal representation still resulted in a better deal, such as more time, more money, than if they had not received legal representation. Stay tuned for our report in spring 2024, which will be posted on our website. Now this item is to authorize MOHCD to exceed the $10 million contracting threshold for EDC, a strong performing grantee. This amendment to increase funding to a total of $11,391,504 would increase the number of tenants served across the two grants from 892 to 1,450. The increase is due to carrying forward unspent funds from the prior year. The source of funding for this amendment is Our City, Our Home Fund, or OCO, which has been a supplemental source of funding for the Tenant Right to Counsel program during the last 
three fiscal years. This amendment represents CDC's fiscal year 23-24 OCO award. Uh, Sheila Nicolopoulos and I are both here uh, in case you have any questions. Thank you. Item five, this is a resolution that approves an amendment to a grant agreement between the Mayor's Office of Housing and Eviction Defense Collaborative. Uh, the amendment increases the existing agreement um, by $4.4 million, uh, which brings its not to exceed amount to $6.28 million. Uh, the grant term will not change. It still ends on June 2024. Uh, the reason this is at the board is because there's another grant agreement that's funded by the general fund um, and some federal funds that funds the same service at Eviction Defense Collaborative and has an over somewhat overlapping term. And so together they are, um, with this amendment, now exceeding the $10 million threshold uh, for board approval, which is why the department's bringing it uh, to you today. Uh, as was noted, this grant funds legal services um, uh, to tenants facing eviction as part of the overall tenant right to counsel program. It's different than the EDC grant that was at this committee a couple months ago, which is managed by HSH and provides rental assistance to people facing housing instability. And the, the grant amendment, um, in addition to providing funding, it increases the number of clients um, served from 892 this year to 1,450. Uh, we detail the um, services on page 19 of our report as well as the budget for the, the, the two grants. Um, there are, we, we did um, have a couple issues that I wanted to raise to, for the board's awareness. One is that the rental and utility costs appear to be over budgeted in this grant by about $400,000 and the I know the department's going to correct that when they finalize the grant after, um, you know, after it's considered by the board. Um, and then we also, as we do with any grant agreement, we look at you know, how the grant is uh, performing relative to the requirements in the contract. And there are extremely detailed measures of performance, um, which MOHCD very helpfully took time with us to show like their dashboard and how, and how each, you know, how, how, the, how the grant is actually performing relative to the contract. I, I, I think though that there's a couple things. One is that there's no like annual performance monitoring process. I think the grant performance is monitored in real time. And I know the department told us that they're gonna do a program level assessment across all providers um, in the spring of 2024. I, I do think assessing the grants, uh, you know, assessing grants at the grant level to see how each contractor is doing is, is important. I know that's what most city departments do. And I think related to that, I think it would be helpful to perhaps define more aggregated performance measures um, in the grant agreement. Because right now, for example, if you look at, if you wanted to know how many people lost their housing, what you would see is a highly disaggregated dashboard of people who got a settlement agreement with litigation, without litigation, you know, and, and it, it's kind of hard to know across a dozen different discrete performance metrics, like how the grant's performing at a quick glance, at least from our perspective. So I think that that would be helpful going forward, uh, but we do recommend approval of item five. 
I think it's possible to have that information. I think it does take that extra step to summarizing, basically. Uh, my imagination is these are lawyers, and they have, <laughs> they have public um, assistance to help them to organize um, as they report back to you. It will be really helpful, I agree, with the budget and legislative analyst report. To be able to understand um, caseload, um, headcount, um, and I, I think overall just caseloads. Like how many clients have they served, averaging how many, uh, you know, per per month. And I'm not asking for hours, but but just I, I think it's it's um, it's something that we we would love to learn more. Uh, it's in. It's information that is going to be helpful, not just for grant funding auditing purpose, but definitely also for us to be able to track exactly how many people are being um, evicted in San Francisco, though we do have that information as well from Rent Board. Um, we do see receive like buyout reports and, and different reports, but it will be tremendously helpful to get, be able to get that through MOHCD um, and uh, but I just want to say thank you. Uh, you've been doing great work. Um, and in fact, our office have worked with you um, in, for some of the District 1 tenants, and that we're just so grateful how responsive you have been and your team have been, um, and just helping us to be able to find either, uh, either including that's like some of the fire um, victims that need long-term housing. So I just want to commend the work that you have been doing and, and so it, this is just really an extra, extra level of reporting, helping us understand the scale of eviction. Um, I also think that just given the fact that um, the same uh, contractor also, this non, same nonprofit is also contracted with HSA and other city departments to do different work. It will, for the eviction defense collaborative, it's been a great team, it's been a great organization, but Again, because they are contracted with different city departments, this would be really helpful uh, for all of us to understand, especially budget process, uh, exactly how much um, this organization is getting and, and reporting back the clients serve um, through, city, through city funding. With that, Vice Chair Mendelman. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, and I guess maybe for the BLA, so it's, it's, it doesn't sound like they're not collect it sounds like you're saying for each client a lot of information is being collected and reported to MoCD and but what are we not what are you not able what are the kinds of metrics that you're not seeing that would be useful in evaluating is this is this working is it not working how well is it working just so I understand I mean is it like you can't tell how many people they've served we can get that data. I mean, I think it required, like, to, I think when we were trying to assess performance, we had to essentially request a department, like, pull the data, and then we had to, like, roll it up to understand. For example, like, if you wanted to know how many clients were served, that's reported in this, like, extremely pulled apart way based on the kind of representation that the clients received. So whether they got full scope representation you know, where they were in the process when, you know, their eviction was resolved one way or the other. So there's like a dozen different categories and then we had to like 
manually count from like a screenshot of a dashboard like what the outcome how what the number of clients were or what the outcome was right and so it may be may just be a data issue right what or, you're saying is should be on edc or should be on most cd i i i mean i think edc is reporting what they're supposed to do in the grant i think what would be helpful is some sort of assessment that the department does to say okay this we're closing out this grant for the year um how did it, how did it work did it did it did it achieve its goals right and can and we can we do a snapshot that says the, we were supposed to serve this many clients and we served this many we had a goal of a high level goal of keeping this many people in their homes and we achieved this and right now the way that it's reported right is it's it's disaggregated across like yeah. by but you force them to do some aggregating right or you ask them to what, what, what we did was sit with them. They took time with us, very helpfully, I will say, and to sit with us and basically show us the dashboard. We got a screenshot of the dashboard, and then we provided, we aggregated the numbers kind of manually. And didn't see any evidence that they're not. Well, it's hard to say. So, for example, I mean, I think there are goals, and then there's deviations from the goals, and it's not clear whether, for example, those deviations are reasonable. And so here's an example. Right, um, let me just get, so uh, 100 clients moved out but had sufficient time or money to secure alternative housing. Uh, that was 57% of the goal, right? So that, that seems, right? So there was a goal in the grant agreement of having um, like a, a approximately 200 people move out, you know, if they were in an eviction process, move uh. out with sufficient time to secure alternative housing. As it turned out, only they, only a hundred people did that. Well, I, is that good? Is that Not bad? Good. I mean, for example, oh, sorry, I don't want to interrupt. No, you. go ahead. Okay, um, um, like DPH, when they do a, a a grant monitoring process, they have a scoring rubric so that when the units of service delivered um, are say eighty to eighty to one hundred percent, they get a four, and then if it's between sixty and eighty percent, they get a three, and then. So the units of service value are evaluated, the number of clients served are, are evaluated, the, the extent of the contractor's compliance with other administrative requirements, like entering data into a system in a timely fashion is evaluated, and then that all rolls up to an overall score. Um, and so that, I think that that is what would be an improvement here. And so you're saying there's goals that are articulated in the grant agreement, so they're saying, go do this, yes. but it's not very clear from the way the, the information is reported, first of all, you have to do a bunch of work to figure out whether they achieve those goals, and then there's no way of thinking about if they didn't achieve those goals, whether that's a problem or not. Yeah, and I think, I think it's a new program, so maybe there's some work to be done to figure out, like, well, what's reasonable? How much do we have control over in an eviction process, right? Um, but I think th those were some of our unanswered okay. questions. All right, thank you. So I'm curious, MoCD, I mean, BLA has looked at this, has suggested that maybe there, there's a different way of keeping track of this data or that, there, that you're not currently set up to do the assessment that, they're not set up to do the assessment for something like this and you're not set, to, set up to do the assessment seemingly of what's in your grant agreement. So is that correct? Is that a problem? Should we be concerned about this? Are you concerned about this? Why are you not concerned about this? <laughs> 
Thank you, uh, Vice Chair. I'm not at all concerned about this. Our data, which was developed in very close consultation with those on the ground, our amazing eviction defenders across eight different community-based organizations, developed these legal activities and legal outcomes so that we could have meaningful data to then present to our key stakeholders, such as our Board of Supervisors. I think um, um, what, so we, we visualize this data. So all of this rich data is available for all MOHCD programming uh, through Power BI, so it's a data visualization tool, and we, MOHCD, could, de could design whatever view we want, whatever aggregation of different metrics, we could do that. And so the uh, constructive uh, feedback from the BLA um, is that we could do a better job of organizing that data so that it's more accessible to a layperson, for example. So when um, the BLA, for example, uh, you know, these three metrics that ultimately mean a good outcome for tenants, let's create a view in that data visualization where you don't have to select those three that only a legal practitioner would know mean a positive outcome. So we have the data, so the data has been developed. We visualize that data. We actually do evaluate every single uh, grant agreement every year. We compare the goals, the um, uh, uh, their performance in that uh, year, and we explain it through conversations with our grantees, et cetera. Um, we will more formally do that, but that is a practice in all of our grant making to evaluate performance. Uh, so we'll, we'll uh, um, have clear data visualization that's more accessible, uh, not just to those of us who oversee the program. So taking the example that the BLA cited for that, metric around successful at, you know, where you're aiming for 100 and you hit 57. Um, how do you think about that as a problem, not mm -hmm. a problem? Yeah, uh, well, we don't have much control, uh, you know, as, as was alluded to earlier, in terms of the legal defenses that are available to a tenant. Um, so, and because it's a universal program, our eviction defenders, and by the way, we have uh, our director of litigation and policy at the EDC, Ora Prokhovnik, uh, who's more of a technical expert. Um, um, our eviction defenders will assert those defenses. Sometimes those, defensives, uh, those defenses are just not very compelling and ultimately don't prevail. Uh, so the goal setting can be a challenge because it's difficult to anticipate what, um, uh, what the evictions will look like in any given year. Uh, but we do look at them with our providers if they did fall short. Was it because we didn't set the goal correctly? Or is it something that we see consistently across our providers? Uh, but, but we do look at that, and that's how we assess it with subject matter experts that could help us understand why certain legal activities had certain legal outcomes. All right. Well, at any rate, it seems like the issue here is not that EDC is not collecting enough information about each of their representations. It seems like they're collecting a lot and reporting a lot, and there's probably a significant, well, at least some kind of burden in terms of time yeah. associated with that. So I don't think it would be great to be asking them to be report. It doesn't seem like they need to be reporting more stuff. It seems like there may be an issue with how, like, how we think about the or use the data that they're presenting and maybe also whether we're looking at it in a way that allows us to reevaluate the goals that we're 
setting for the contract, maybe. At any rate. All right, well, I think this is an important, thank you. Um, I think this is important. I would like to be added as a co-sponsor. Um, and that's all I got. Thank you. Here's also my question, though. Mm -hmm. Isn't it this is like every time that the EV, uh, eviction defense collaborative uh, funding, it's actually on an annual basis? Uh, so MOHCD does have a grant-making cycle of yeah. three to five years. Okay. Uh, we do, and, the, and a question that the BLA had, for example, is why do we uh, award grant agreements annually? It's actually a multi-year uh, grant-making cycle, uh, but we do evaluate performance every year to determine what the funding should be in the subsequent year. Maybe they didn't spend all the funding. Maybe they performed well, and perhaps we could supplement it a little more or otherwise. Um, uh, so uh, our grant-making is, is a five-year cycle. Uh, next fiscal year will be the fifth year of the current cycle. Uh, so, so around this time next year, uh, we will uh, launch our request for proposals for the next five-year, three to five-year funding cycle. Thank you. Um, I don't have any more questions at this time. Uh, I'm sure we're gonna dive deeper during the budget process. Uh, with that, let's go to public comment on this item. Yes, Madam Chair, we invite members of the public who have joined us today and who wish to speak on this resolution to please uh, line up and uh, approach the lectern, and each speaker will be allowed two minutes. Good morning, Supervisors. Bill Hirsch with the AIDS Legal Referral Panel. We are one of the partner agencies with the Eviction Defense Collaborative and the Tenant Right to Counsel effort. I, I wanted to make a couple points very briefly. One, it has been a really lovely collaboration with the Mayor's Office of Housing to get this very unique program up and running. Second, that we have never, ever fully funded the program, so we've never been able to ensure that everyone who's facing an eviction has access to an attorney. Third, um, we do our best to provide representation for individuals, but as attorneys on, on the board know, you can never guarantee an outcome in a particular case. Um, we are always left with the facts that we have to deal with in the law. Um, and then I wanted to just reiterate that some of the folks that we're serving are amongst the most vulnerable members of the community in San Francisco. Um, we are essential as an eviction uh, prevention strategy, a homelessness prevention strategy for the city. So I uh, appreciate your support of this. Thank you. Thank you much for addressing this panel. Uh, Bill Hirsch. Next speaker, please. Uh, hello, good morning. Uh, my name is Ora Prochovnik, and I'm the Director of Litigation and Policy at the Eviction Defense Collaborative, which, as you know, is the lead agency in our Tenant Right to Counsel program. And I appreciate this opportunity to speak today on behalf of the resolution to increase the grant amount and also about our wonderful partnership with the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Over the past four years, since the launch of our Right to Counsel program, our team has worked in very close partnership with MOHCD's program manager, Hugo Ramirez, on the needs assessment, design, ramp up, and implementation of the citywide initiative. And it's proven itself to be one of the most 
effective interventions in preventing the tsunami of evictions which has been taking place post-COVID. Our numbers are up to above the pre-COVID numbers. Uh, we're on track with our subcontractors to meet and perhaps exceed the commitment of our contract goals for the past fiscal year and the current fiscal year. Uh, during this present fiscal year, along with our subcontractors, uh, we've served over 925 tenants so far, just halfway through the year. Uh, close to 76% of the tenants we serve are BIPOC, 87% are low-income households. Uh, 360 of these have received full-scope representation, and to date this year, only one of those tenants was evicted from their home. Uh, we have an additional 35 that have received post-settlement or post-judgment help. I really want to push back on the issue of MOHCD's monitoring. We work extremely closely with them. We meet with Mr. Ramirez once a week. We have a very rich data system with the wonders of a Salesforce program known as Justice Server. We have intense data, and we're going to be preparing a review of the most recent four years. We did have that little issue of COVID when data was hard to analyze, but I would push back on that comment. Thank you so much. And thank you for addressing this committee. Madam Chair, that completes our speakers. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, we will make the motion to uh, move this item to full board with recommendation. But again, I, I want to say that, you know, this, uh, the problem is not about, I think I, I just want to say the problem is not about whether the data is available. I think it's it's all or the report back. I think it's really the, about the analysis of the data and how we actually can pull that more efficiently uh, for grant monitoring. Um, I think that's more what the uh, budget and legislative analysts is actually recommending, so that we actually have a more updated performance measures uh, and easily available to us without having to manually pull them. And with that, uh, let's go to roll call for this motion. Yes, on the motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have two ayes with Member Safi excused. The motion passes. And with that, and please call item number six. Yes, item number six is a resolution fixing prevailing wage rates for workers performing work uh, under city contracts for public works and improvements, janitorial services, work in public off-street parking lots, garages, or storage facilities for automobiles on property owned or leased by the city, workers engaged in theatrical or technical services for shows on property owned by the city, hauling of solid waste generated by the city, uh, in the course of city operations pursuant to a contract with the, with the city, moving services under city contracts at facilities owned or leased by the city, workers engaged in uh, exhibit, display, or trade show work at special events on property owned by the city, broadcast services on property owned by the city, loading or unloading into or from a commercial vehicle on city property of materials, goods, or products in connection with a show or special event, or engaged in driving a commercial vehicle into which or from which materials, goods, or products are loaded or unloaded on city property in connection with a show or special event, security guard services under city contracts or facilities or, or on property owned or leased by the city, and motor bus service contracts. Madam Chair. 
Thank you. We have OIC here again. Thank you, Chair Chan, Supervisor Mendelman. Um, this is the uh, annual approvals um, for San Francisco prevailing wage rates. Um, it's a standard item that comes up usually right before the end of the year. It includes the 60 plus trade classifications and a couple hundred subclassifications as identified by the California Department of Industrial Relations. In addition to that, there are 10 service sector classifications that are unique to San Francisco. Um, Office of Labor Standards Enforcement collects relevant collective bargaining agreements for those 10 classifications and then uses those to determine what the appropriate prevailing wage rate would be. Those are submitted to the Civil Service Commission as per the enacting legislation um, and then that is forwarded to the Board of Supervisors for consideration. Just a note, because there was an additional letter in the submittal, there was a substitution for 21C1 motor bus services. The reason for that is because their um, fully ratified collective bargaining agreement had not been um, completed in time for the civil service hearing, which was legislatively required. It is completely at the Board of Supervisors' discretion, though, to adopt terms based on information that comes in afterwards. Sorry, and we're saying that you do have amendments, or this is the substitution with the motor bus It service. is included. The substitution is included. Um, but I just wanted to note that. Black it for us. Thank you so much, Lynn. And uh, with that, I don't have any questions, but would like to add it as a sponsor of the legislation. And um, thank you so much for all your work on this. Um, these are really critical jobs <laughs> that uh, I hope more workers being able to receive the prevailing wage in the city and be able to like stay and thrive in the city with this uh, continuance of prevailing wage, um, hopefully matching to living wage one day. Uh, with that, I don't see any other questions. I don't have any. Thank you, and we'll go to public comments on this item. Thank you. Yes, we now invite members of the public who have joined us today who wish to speak on this item to line up now. And please come forward to the lectern, and you will have two minutes to speak. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you, but it's my mistake. I think this one actually have a BLA report. Uh, yes, thank you, Supervisor Chan. Uh, item six, this is a resolution. It's the annual prevailing wage determination um, for the, that the board considers every year. Um, essentially, any entity that contracts with the city um, has to pay a prevailing wage for certain uh, trades that we detail in our report on pages um, 29 through 31, which al also show the results um, of the proposed prevailing wages uh, that were um, observed by um, a survey conducted by the Office of Labor Standards and the Civil Service Commission um, earlier in the fall. Uh, and we, we do have an update on the motor bus drivers, uh, which would receive a total compensation increase, wage and benefit increase of between $2.25 and $2.85 per hour. Um, and uh, I will say it's very difficult to estimate the fiscal impact of this measure, uh, but it would likely increase costs going forward. Um, and we, we always consider this item to be a policy matter for the board because um, you're not limited to the information that's you know in the legislative packet. Thank you.
Thank you. And with that, I'd like to move this item to full board with recommendation. A roll call, please. And on that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have two ayes. Would Member Safai excused? The motion passes. And with that, um, Mr. Clerk, please call uh, item 7 through 16 together. Yes, Madam Chair. Items 7 through 16. Are resolutions authorizing the Office of Contract Administration to enter into a contract agreement or, sorry, enter into contract agreements for as-needed technology goods and services between the city and county and the following, each for an amount not to exceed $20 million for a five-year term effective upon approval of the respective resolutions through December 31st, 2028, with no options to extend items 7 through 16 or with the following, XTEX JV, Presidio Network Solutions Group, LLC, Intervision Systems, LLC, Insight Public Sector, Inc., Cornerstone Technology Partners, uh, 2JV, CCT Technologies, Inc., doing business as Computer Land um, of Silicon Valley, Central Computers, Inc., California Creative Solutions, Inc., doing business as CCS Global Tech, CEDW Government, LLC, and Accenture, LLP. Madam Chair. Thank you. And with that, we have Department of Public Health here. Good morning, Supervisor Chan, Supervisor Mendelman. My name is Daniel Sanchez. I am a supervising purchaser with the Office of Contract Administration. And I am here to talk about uh, item 7 through 16, which we refer to as our Technology Marketplace 3.0 contracts. So we're here to ask you to authorize our office, Office of Contract Administration, to enter into these 10 as-needed contracts uh, for the purchase of technology goods and services under our new Technology Marketplace 3.0. Uh, these are as-needed contracts. They're going to be for five-year terms. Uh, they're all going to be at a, a not-to-exceed amount of $20 million, um, and it's uh, 10 companies in, in total. Uh, so the technology marketplace, we've come before you um, just recently um, and, and in the past. Uh, the technology marketplace um, has, uh, consisted, has always consisted of a pool of suppliers from which city departments can purchase technology products and services on an as-needed basis. Uh, things like software licenses, computer hardware, uh, integration configuration services, and maintenance uh, and support for software and hardware. It actually started back in the 1990s, um, and it was designed to be an efficient uh, purchasing model or vehicle for departments to use um, for technology purchasing because it reduces the time that's required for a transaction from several months to uh, a couple of weeks under the tech marketplace. Um, since its inception, uh, the tech marketplace has expanded uh, with every iteration uh, from a handful of suppliers to more than 50 in the most recent uh, iteration. Uh, the, tech, the Office of uh, Contract Administration, our, our team, we issued an RFP uh, on August 21st, 2023 for this next version of the tech marketplace. And we uh, are making awards as follows. We're making the 10 before you, uh, which are going to be for amounts of $20 million. We have 44 that will be for amounts of $9 million. And we have 37 that are micro LBE set-asides uh, with amounts of 200000 each. All of these contracts will make up the next version of the technology marketplace. It's a total of 61 suppliers, 27 of which are uh, micro LBEs. Uh, we have, these are going to be, again, uh, very important to note, as-needed contracts. They're going to be available to all city departments to purchase technology, goods, and services based on whatever needs they have at the time. Uh, 
All the transactions under the tech marketplace are capped at $2.5 million. Uh, and we require competitive solicitations for any transactions that are above our established thresholds. We also have, these contracts also have um, the an 18% LBE subcontracting requirement, which means that uh, of all the services that are procured under these contracts, 18% of it has to be subcontracted out to an LBE firm. Uh, and all of these contracts uh, are administered by OCA, our office, who, and we are uh, uh, meant to ensure that all the city requirements are satisfied by each individual transaction. Uh, the Tech Marketplace 3.0, we believe, uh, will have a positive impact because it provides an efficient process for procuring essential hardware, software support, and, and technology services. It really reduces the procurement time for departments uh, from months to weeks, uh, which saves a lot of uh, staff resources and time. It also increases competition because we are going to require that transactions above the established thresholds be competitively solicited amongst all of the suppliers in the Tech Marketplace. And also importantly, it increases the opportunities for the LBEs. We have 27 prime LBEs that can use their uh, LBE rating uh, bonus or their discount to compete against non-LBE uh, firms in the pool. And also the 18% uh, LBE subcontracting requirement is, is increased from the previous version, which was 15. So they'll, be, they'll see more subcontracting opportunities as well. And we also have 37 micro-LB set-aside contracts, which are really the first uh, avenue that departments are, are, are encouraged to, to go to uh, when they have a purchase under the tech marketplace. So they'll get uh, the, first, the first dibs, the first shot at uh, procurements. So we're asking you to please authorize us to uh, enter into these 10 contracts before you today uh, so that they can join the, the, the pool of our technology marketplace 3.0. Uh, which again, these contracts are for $20 million and for a, a total duration of, of five years. And I'm available if you have any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Items seven through 16, these are resolutions that approve uh, $20 million contracts with 10 different uh, technology marketplace vendors. The contracts would begin January, 2024 and have a five-year term through uh, December, 2028. Um, you know, the, the city department can make purchases uh, purchases from these contracts um, for IT goods and services. There's still a competitive process. These are essentially a pool of pre-qualified vendors. Um, the competitive process kicks in if the transaction's over $10,000. Um, we do look at, you know, what the fiscal impact would be of this new technology marketplace. We looked at the IT spending over the past 12 months, which is about $78 million across the entire city. And as we detail on page 35 of our report, we think over the next five years, IT spending would be about $455 million, which um, the majority of which would likely be on these 10 contractors. Uh, we do recommend approval of these 10 resolutions. Thank you. And I well, I think it's it's, um, it's it's an efficient way to contract and to allow that um, city departments to come in and serve as needed um, basis um, to allow us to be more competitive. Um, so I don't really have any other question. I only wish that we're not going to be, you know, continue to face escalating calls, but that's not something that anyone here can control. Um, so. With that, I will say let's go to public comment for this item. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. We now invite members of the public who have joined us today uh, who wish to speak on 
items 7 through 16 uh, to please approach the lectern now. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. We'd like to move item 7 through 16 to full board with recommendation. And with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion to forward the resolutions in items numbers 7 through 16 to the full board, the positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have two ayes with Member Safi excused. Thank you. And the motion passes. And with that, please, uh, Mr. Clerk. Call item 17. Uh, yes, item number 17 is a hearing to consider uh, and review the approval of the budget guidelines for the Board of Supervisors and Clerk of the Board's uh, annual budget for fiscal year 2024 to 2025 and fiscal year 2025 to 2026. Madam Chair. Thank you. And Madam Clerk, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, uh, uh, Chair Chan, Supervisor Mandelman. I'm Angela Calvillo, Clerk of the Board, and I'm here today with the Admin Deputy of the Department, uh, Edward De Assis. I, I do We do thank you, Dr. De Assis, for uh, carefully maintaining all of the facts and details in our budget. Today signals the beginning of three hearings that will come before this committee uh, as the Board's rules envisioned it where I come to seek the board's guidelines for preparation of our draft budget. Uh, today's hearing will talk about brief highlights of the department's current projects, discuss uh, the needs, and, and then uh, learn about additional um, initiatives not already captured uh, or covered in the presentation. Resulting out of today's hearing, we will bring the draft budget to all members of the board and then present it uh, in February, at which time uh, when it is the mayor and the controller's phase will then, uh, after your permission, submit it to the controller and the mayor for their review. Uh, once uh, June of 2024 occurs, then we'll come back to you for a final time where we will talk about any changes between the February submission uh, to the board's consideration at the board's phase in June. Uh, so let's just take a quick, I have four slides. Quickly at slide two, there are two views of our current year budget. On the left, it's organized by division, and the right is the pivot table organized by subject area. To fulfill the department's mission, uh, which is to promote the interests of the residents of the city and resource the offices of the Board of Supervisors, the committee and the board authorized $23.6 million for our budgetary needs. I want to draw your attention to the left side of, of this slide. We have 94 full-time employees, 61 board-appointed commissioners that make up the assessment appeals board, boards one through three, the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force, the Youth Commission, and the LAFCO. As you can see, the top line, half of the department's budget, belongs to the district offices to pay the salary and benefits of the 11 elected supervisors and the 44 legislative aides. But what is also in your budget are the costs to engage in external audit for the CAFR at 347,000, the citywide memberships in CSAC and the National Association of Counties, uh, NACO, and the National League of Cities totaling 210,000. Additionally, in the board's budget are services requested from other city departments in the form of work orders 
The total amount is $600,000. Approximately 220,000 of that is uh, associated with the board's line item, and 320 of that is associated with the clerk's budget. And so with that, I'll draw your attention to the clerk's line item. Um, we have we have about 28% of the department's budget belongs to the clerk, which um, I do thank all of the clerk staff for doing so much more with, with less every year, providing administrative support, operational IT support to the district offices, and significant engagement through training and support of all city departments to help them navigate the legislative process. Um, the next line item, I won't go through all of these, but you can see them for yourself. Um, I will draw your attention to the pivot table, which does show a different view of the largest cost share, being the salaries and benefits, obviously, um, for our department, as established by DHR's MOUs, the largest cost share at 74%. The next largest category is non-personnel services, 22%, or 5.3 million, and the budget and legislative analyst services at 3.1 million. Um, we do have our legislative management system, which I think is a great segue into the third slide. This is what we've really been spending a lot of our time on, are some of the projects on this slide. Uh, we, are, uh, we have completed the evaluation phase of a new RFP. We're about to enter into negotiations with the winning vendor. We expect to move on to constructing, um, building the new system in the next couple of weeks. And I'm not gonna go through all of these, but I do wanna talk about the board's uh, IT infrastructure here in City Hall. We are working with uh, CAO Carmen Chu on a solution, but we were having some trouble with the infrastructure here and discovered that there was um, some deferred maintenance on the city's IT uh, infrastructure here in this building uh, and learned of the new plan that will be implemented for this building. It did not take into consideration the board's needs for its IT um, daily needs. And so, again, I, I do thank uh, CIO Chu uh, for the solution, but um, uh, we will be bringing more to you on that as we proceed. Um, we've also been trying to plan for a continuity of operations at the Board of Supervisors. You think of all the UWASI funding that this board has approved since the early 2000s, and this is the first year we've been able to partake of applying for some of that funding. It is our hope that when you know the lights go out, that your offices will also be on the generator, your printers will function for your press releases, and your uh, other computers will work in your offices, and so we're working with building management to uh, make sure that you've got the right amount of power in your offices. Um, one last comment on, on some of the projects we've been working on this current year. The Assessment Appeals Board, just like in the 08 downturn, uh, is experiencing um, uh, a significant increase by three times the amount of appeals uh, that have been filed this year compared to uh, last year this time. So we do expect to be working um, diligently to make sure all of those appeals are figured out in the two-year time frame. Time frame. Um, and then I'll move, I'll move on to the, I think it's the fourth slide for the proposed budget. This is not the proposed budget um, that we'll be bringing to you in February. It's a bit of an informational on where we're at currently. 
Um, number one item is the information security subscriptions for the support and the ongoing maintenance uh, that our team conducts and aligning the assessment appeals board system with the new requirements of the state of California uh, is something that we'll continue to need to work on. And uh, the BLA has requested a COLA, you can see the amount there. And um, the UWASI grant would be a new grant to our department at the amount of 154,000. So we're trying to diversify our funding, as you can see. Um, and with that, members of the committee, uh, I will be working with, again, all members of the board to find out if they have any initiatives. We are taking the mayor's budget cuts very seriously. Uh, we do recognize it is a difficult economic outlook for the next several years. And uh, we will be bringing to the president and you, Madam Chair, and to the members of the committee, ideas on what could be cut in this department for um, for your direction, and then we'll um, we'll try to be a part of the solution overall for the city. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. I just want to say that I hope all city departments, uh, especially those have experienced exponential growth uh, in their budget and for the last however long will have the same attitude as you to say what we can do to be part of the solution even though I think that given us you have a very lean but mighty team doing the work uh, for the entire legislative branch to be under 20, under 20 $4 million annual budget uh, for the city and county of San Francisco um, of total $14 billion. Uh, it's just amazing of what you and your team, uh, how along with our legislative analyst team and everyone um, within the department has been doing, um, that I'm just really grateful for that. Thank you. We want to make you proud. Thank you. Um, I do think, though, uh, as a response, and you know, I know that the mayor has given additional budget instruction announced today uh, with the 10% cut for the coming year. I just hope that um, that pain is shared across board, um, and uh, but at the same time, be able to be again reflect on those have grown so much where we. I do not believe we have much of a growth and uh, has been really lean. Madam Clerk, could you explain to me how much of a budget we've been growing? Yes. Uh, at what pace, I should say. Some of us were here in the 90s, I was, and some of us were here in 2000. In the year 2000, we had uh, three legislative aides at the time. And so when you look at your offices having four legislative aides, you've only grown by 11 positions in the city. Um, and so I think that is a stark contrast that people need to understand. It's not that you have grown your FTE um, by a great amount of FTE. Um, in terms of the budget, the modernization that we've done, what I'm calling modernization, is really modernization to your uh, legislative accounts so that you can um, you know, utilize your parking space or perhaps those of your those of you who have law degrees, can, which, which you utilize in the course of your official business, could have then used your new monies in the legislative account. By $3,000, we grew the legislative account. We kept the president 
capped at 10, and that has been there since I was in, you know, uh, a young intern in this department in 1996. So um, the, the other growth in the department has really been through projects that we've been working on. Uh, and we've spent down the projects timely. We've never had to give the money back because we utilized it. Um, we have been, th th there hasn't been a lot of growth, I'll just say, and I'll just look to Dr. DeAssis if you can think of anything that you've seen. Probably the work orders have grown in our department. Mm -hmm. As you know, that's $600,000. And those are not, that's not permission granted by this committee. That is something that the mayor's office loads into all of our budgets. Um, and it, it, the, I, do, I do want to point out that the budget and legislative analyst kept, we kept that contract with agreement with the budget and legislative analyst uh, capped at two point at 2.6 million for about a decade. So while they are growing now with Ecola, it is to catch up with what they forewent in the previous decade. Uh, so that contract was capped for a long time. Thank you. I mean, uh, our annual budget is less than some of the, the contract agreements that came through for just one year spending. Um, with that, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I don't have any other questions. I don't see Vice Chair Mandelman has any question either. We appreciate it. Uh, we will go to um, public comments on this. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Now's the time where we invite uh, members of the public who wish to comment on this hearing to approach the lectern now. And Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you, and seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. I would like to file this um, hearing. It has been heard, and so with that, a roll call on that motion to file. And on that motion that this hearing be heard and filed, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have two ayes, with Member Safai excused. Thank you, and the motion passes. And are there any other business before us today? Uh, Madam Chair, that completes uh, this year's business. Happy holidays, everybody, and hope you also have a great new year, and the meeting is adjourned.